Well, I'm happy to hear that. You know, because we live in a day of spiritual and moral confusion. You know, some would say that this is the way that you need to live. To which others would reply back, no, this is the way. My way is right, your way is wrong. And a more growing popular thought now is, there is no right way. Everyone must choose their own path. See, philosophers, educators, sociologists, psychologists, politicians, and even preachers offer their speculations about how we should live. However, what we don't need is we don't need more speculation or debate about which way is right or which way is better. We need a more sure word of authoritative revelation that tells us why we're here and how we should live considering that purpose. Why we exist and what are we to do. See, we learn, we learn early on in life that every effect must have a cause. The fact that there is creation surrounding us says that there is a cause. There is only one reasonable and rational explanation for the universe and for its creation. There is a creator. Creation demands a creator. See, the God of the Bible claims that responsibility. And if God is the creator, then he is the sole and final authority. See, here in Psalm 19, we get to read about King David's heart for the one who created it all. See, if you love astronomy or even just taking your telescope outside to view the moon, see the stars, you're going to relate with this psalm very well. Psalm chapter, one, psalm chapter 19, we'll read the whole chapter. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. There is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. How moreover... By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them, uh, keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his error? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just a powerful, um, powerful song, Lord, that we get to read about and one that we hold so dearly, Lord. So the beauty of creation, Lord, to the majesty of your word and our response to it. 
We love you, Lord, and just be with us here tonight, just today, and just be with us as we um, just continue on you know, listening and worship, giving you the proper worship you so rightfully deserve. We love you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first what we see at the start of this psalm, he just lays it out, that God's glory is declared in creation, shown by the heavens. See, starting off, he identifies his recipients and the chief musician and the writer, David. See, this idea of chief musician, it could be Asaph, um, who was called chief in the chronic book of Chronicles, and it would fit given that, you know, psalms are a bunch of songs. They're lyrics for music to be paid, played to. Some have also proposed that God as the chief musician, since he ultimately is the writing and the one who they're singing it to. But either way, it's, that's who he's writing. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. See, this reminds us of the very first book, the very first book and verse of the Bible, the moment you open it. It reminds us of the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. I would be very surprised there's not an American that has never heard that verse or even read it themselves. And see, when it says the heaven, this is not to be confused with the heaven in the sense where believers go after they leave this life. Heavens can be described in understanding of three realms. See, ancient cultures have viewed it as the first heaven is the sky. The second of them is outer space where we hit. And the third is a spiritual unseen heaven where God dwells. The first and second one are the ones that are visible to the eye. 2 Corinthians 12.2 says this. It says, Paul writes, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such and one caught up to the third heaven. Now, we believe Paul is speaking in third person there. And at some point, God had showed him the things in heaven. What he saw, he could not utter and be spoken of. So that's where we get this idea of first, second, second, third, first, second, and third heaven. But just understanding, when he's talking about the heavens, he's talking about the things that you can physically see, not in this, gener not in this realm that's the spiritual one. See, the following verses David indicates, he says that the firmament, which is a poetic way to refer to the sky, shows his handiwork. He could see his handiwork, God's creation, God's majesty in the blue sky with the glory of the sun and the clouds and everyone who likes to get up early, the beauty of that sunrise and seeing of the sunsets. He could see it in the night sky with the brightness of the moon, the all of the starry sky and the cloudy spread of the distant galaxies. See, these together with their size and their wonder spoke to David and how all who would see that the God who created all of this glorious is evidence of his glory. God's creation testifies of his existence to all the world. It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The glory of God in the visible heavens is for all to see. So although no literal words are spoken, it transcends language barriers. We have thousands upon thousands of languages, but it transcends all of them. It is communicated to all mankind clearly. There is a God. A message that has gone through all the earth. See, Paul even expands on this idea more in Romans chapter 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
because that they which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that they, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to a corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creepy things creeping things. See, many Christians, as well even theologians, have wrestled with this question. What about those who have never heard the name of Jesus or even heard that there is a God out there? Now, it's a fair question. See, but what we just read about in Romans, and even in Psalms, gives us that answer. Creation itself is testimony that there is a God, that there is a creator, and that he can be known. It's their responsibility on what they do with that revelation given to them. The Bible says in Romans that that none are without excuse. You worship the creator or you falsely worship the creation. See, when a person responds to the light that God shows him, what does God do? He sends more light. Why else do you think God is calling and sending missionaries in all of this world? Because there are those out there responding to God's light that he is preparing. Some have concluded that, well, those who have never heard, they're safe because they don't know any better. They don't know about their sin. They don't know about this Jesus. They're safe. They're going to, they're going to have by default. So if this were the case, let's just tease that a little bit. Are we not just better off to not send missionaries? Are we, not, are we better off to not just speak the gospel to anyone? Because the moment we speak the gospel to them, we've now made them accountable. They're better off never never, ever hearing if that was the case. The Bible teaches that everyone who does not know Jesus, whether ignorantly or by rejection, is in danger of facing the consequence of their sin. That is why those who do know him must, must do their due diligence in spreading his gospel. See, God's power is shown through his creation as well. It says, in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and the circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. See, here David starts getting poetic descriptions about the sun, something we can easily relate with and see, how its place of dwelling as a tabernacle, a tent, is in the heavens. The sun makes its course of the sky with joy and strength, like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber or an athlete or strongman running a race. See, if you consider the sun, the sun truly is remarkable. I'm talking about S-U-N, not S-O-N. See, fictional works have villains obsessing over the power of the sun in my hands, being grass in their hands, and it's even source of power to just mighty characters who are even called as gods. According to NASA research for Earth, it is a major source of energy for oceans, atmosphere, land, biosphere, and average over an entire year, approximately 
342 watts of solar energy fall upon every square meter of Earth. That's estimated 44 quadrillion watts of power by the year. And as a comparison, a large electric power plant produces about a billion watts of power. So that means it would take 44 million large power plants to equal the energy that is coming from the sun. So shout out for solar. Yet, in all that power, all that power you see the sun, it has a creator. It has a creator, and it demonstrates that infinite power of its creator. See, in all this glory, we see from creation there is something that's even greater than that. It's his word, the word of the creator. He has magnified his word even above his own name. This is in Psalm 138.2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Take note of this last phrase. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. While the revelation of God through his creation truly is amazing and we get to be in awe of it, it won't save you. Rather, it can lead and point you to a Savior. We have something even greater, God's glory revealed by his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In this here, we see the nature of God's word. I want to make note as well, David now shifts from using God in verse 1, comes from El, the Hebrew, is the most generic way of addressing God to, now he says, Lord. All capital means he's using Jehovah. The title he gives Moses at the burning bush, meaning the self-existing one, or in other words, I am that I am. He shifts using a different name and addressing God. And how his word is described in a parallel. It says the law comes from the word Torah. It's perfect. Now if you think, immediately when we think law, we see Old Testament, he's talking about, well, he's just talking about the Old Testament law, just those little bit of the Bibles. But its application here isn't just referring to the Mosaic law. See, this nature of the word Torah is referring to any of God's revelation from his word. It is perfect. It is giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's not just talking about Mosaic law. He's talking about all of God's law, all of God's word. And think about this way. At this time, David did not have all the scriptures we have. He had a fraction of it, but he, the descriptions he gives, he loved the word. This testimony of the Lord is sure, meaning it is certain, it is absolute, it's reliable. The statutes of the Lord are right, morally right, practically right, universally right. They're right because it's the revelation of a God who is holy, true, and is always right and has the final say. He writes, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Because it comes from a pure God, the word will also be pure, without spot. And we see in, par in comparison, the, the parallels, the capabilities. It converts the soul. Converting the soul. By its perfection, there is power in the reading and hearing and in the studying of God's word that goes beyond intellectual benefit. It converts the soul. Also, that word is also used as revives the soul. 
He says, makes wise the simple. See, many people of simple education or upbringing, upbringing have tremendous wisdom unto life and godliness because they know and they trust the sure word of the Lord. We saw in Romans earlier, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. If you, are, if you know the word of God by heart, the Bible says you are wise, way beyond earthly knowledge. It says, rejoices the heart, the one who knows the word of God, and the God of the word rejoices in this. He finds joy, actual pleasures in the truths of God and relationship with God revealed in his word. It says that it enlightens, enlightening the eyes by its purity, it will bring the cheer, the comfort, the knowledge, the confidence, the discernment that light brings in the midst of a dark world. And in light of this wonder, this creation that we get to see, this powerful word, what is man's response? Man should fear the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. See, a phrase we see in Proverbs re repeated. See, in Proverbs, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance. See, this is what this world lacks tremendously. Even many who claim to know God, they don't fear the Lord. There is no reverence for his character or even his warnings. See, a proper reverence towards God grows to a greater love. Man should love God's word. David wrote, More to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. And this is coming from a man who's very wealthy. Not as wealthy as his son, but he's very wealthy as king. See, David, although not a perfect man by any means, and he was not known for his riches, he was known as a man after God's own heart. It was his desire. See, God's word was not only held to a greater esteem than material wealth, but also greater than experiences of the senses, such as honey, sweetness, and pleasantness to eat. He says God's word is sweeter. And while the statements David made are absolutely true, do you believe it? See, most would say, I would rather have that fine gold. I would rather have this and this. But what about you? Do you treasure the word of God above everything in this world? See, David valued it as priceless. Man should live by God's word. We're going to read what gold and all this cannot accomplish. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. David then gives us what the word does, what wealth cannot do or accomplish. It warns us, instructs us, cleanses us, reveals our nature to us. It protects us. David prays to keep him from those presumptuous sins, cleanse him from the secret faults, and to not let them have dominion over his life. Can money ever accomplish such a thing? Only by the power and the piercing might of God's word 
is able to accomplish such a changed life. To even end his psalm, he says, let the, he prays this, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. So what are the meditations of your heart this morning? David had his eyes fixed on the word of God and the ways of God. He feared the Lord, he loved the Lord, and he lived by his word. He says, be acceptable in my sight, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. The heavens declare the glory of God. See, what an amazing psalm to point us back to why these things exist for his glory. As wonderful God's creation of the universe is, there's something that God even loves more and takes more delight in. That's you. Creation of mankind. See, if you notice in the first chapter of the Bible, God observes his creation seven times in total and says it was good. In the creation of humanity, he then observes it all together and says it was very good. Good in that he had designed and purpose in mind and that the created products met his approval. He judged them to be effective for serving his purpose. See, you exist for his glory and for his worship just as the heavens do. But you were made for something even beyond that. You were made for relationship with your God. And unfortunately, that relationship was thwarted by sin and rebellion. The solution has been provided by God himself. The same creator has provided that solution to restore that relationship. And in giving us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross on our behalf, who then conquered the grave three days and three nights later. And if you don't know him as Savior, I urge you to consider his love for you and your need to be saved. If you exist for him, David, just as David said, he is your strength. He is your redeemer. He's the only one who can keep that beating heart satisfied. Even kids can relate with something. If you show a piece of paper, you draw all over it. Is it your paper? You can do whatever you want with it. Hang it on your wall, toss it in the trash, add some more colors. If we exist coming from God, does he have the right to tell us what to do? He does. And if we're existing for his creation, if we're living by, he's loving, he loves us enough to give us a choice and free will. And if we're living by what he designs us for, that is where our purpose and our true joy is going to be found. The God of this universe, so mighty and so transcendent above this earth, loves you, loves you enough to give himself, give his only begotten son for you so that you could be saved from a hell that wasn't even designed for you. Let us help you with that if you are unsure on where you'll spend eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so, so amazed, Lord. And I, for one, Lord, just love seeing and observing the beauty of creation, Lord, especially in places where humanity has not occupied much, Lord, knowing that you are such a powerful, mighty God, Lord, to create something so majestic and so wonderful, all for your praise and all for your pleasure. And then to go to us, Lord, and to see us as something as delight, Lord, something that you take pleasure in, Lord, as we give you praise, as we give you worship, that you, even though you have no need for anything humanity can ever give you, but you choose to love us and you willfully give yourself over to us, Father. 
So that in light of these truths, in light of the power we have in creation, the power of the word, our proper response, Lord, is worship. And so why we exist, Lord, and that's where our true satisfaction can really exist in this life. We love you and thank you for being a God who not only just that just didn't leave us the way we were, Lord, but is continually with us, Lord, and one that we continue to worship and one that we get to live with forevermore. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever read a book or maybe saw a movie and the character was searching for something? What do you want from life? I want my life to have meaning. You ever read a story like that or saw a movie like that? There's really only one way that that's accomplished. Your life will have meaning when you are with it doing what you were created to do. You were made to bring God glory. That's why God made you. You will never fulfill your purpose in life until that's happening in your life. Serving the Lord in truth, in love, having that daily relationship with Him. It's a walking, talking, living, breathing relationship to walk in fellowship with God, to do with your life what He created you to do. That's what spiritual gifts are about. That's what purpose and serving the Lord in God's house is about. Are you, are you fulfilled in your life right now? Some could say yes. It's rare. But it can be for you. The Lord meant no words about it. I've created him, yea, I have created him for my glory. That's you he's talking about, for the glory of God. Might be, a good, uh, might be a good idea to ask the Lord to show you how to do that. It's in the Word. I put a part of it on the wall to remind you every time you come in here, unto Him be glory in the church. But I'm not in the church every day. If you're saved and a member of this church, you're a part of the church every day. And it's through your relationship that you have in the body of Christ that we can bring Him glory. And let me, I might tell you something here that you really don't want to hear, but I'll tell you anyway. You're not wanting to hear, it's never stopped me before. To the Lord, the way He created you without being a part of one of His churches. It doesn't work any other way. He created you to be a part of the body, His body. You see, there's only one organization in this whole world where everything that's good that's done, the glory goes to Jesus Christ. Nobody else. Men will take it in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, look what I did. Look how I helped people. Look how I did this. And I, I, I. This is not how we work as a church. It's all for His glory. 
if we learn that and we learn how to do it. You know, there's a lot of great, there's a lot of great people doing great things in this world and claiming all the credit for it. Real churches give Jesus all the credit for every good thing it's done. How many of you are going to heaven? Who's responsible for that? Jesus. Jesus. I've watched a bunch of you get saved, but I've never saved anybody. Jesus is your Savior. He's your sustainer. He's your provider. Every good thing in your life comes from one place. That's from Him.